Blog Talk Radio. This is the body of Christ Church. And welcome to Repentance is the Key. Is the key. Even that the blood in the church hall Don't forget about my friends in the dance hall Joy and love me have a great peace of mind And not this me want me dance I'll bring them to find Now go fast and pray, go fast and pray Till Christ God and me bring them fine See she I go fast and pray, go fast and pray And to see the devil get thee behind Me, fast and pray, go fast and pray Till Christ God and me bring them fine Because there are many times that we came into this truth, throughout the times in this truth, the Lord laid those afflictions on us for our wickedness and our rebelliousness and our sins. But does not the Most High also show us mercy a lot of times in taking that away? He does. He does. But will he do that for us if we don't do what the scripture says and endure it and go through it? No. So you look at the examples of our forefathers, even when it talks about the patience of Job in Ecclesiasticus chapter, I mean, sorry, let's go to the book of James chapter 5. It's the next next book over. James 5, start at 7. James 5 and 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. So James is letting us know that the same way that husbandman has that great patience and waiting for the fruit to come, is the same way we have to be patient and waiting for the Lord and establish our heart in this faith. Continue. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest he be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So he's letting us know, be careful of how we deal with each other in these days and times, because the Lord draws near. He's at the door. Continue. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So what are the prophets an example of? Read that three. Suffering, affliction, and of patience. So the prophets are our example of suffering, affliction, and patience. They weren't breaking the commandments. They weren't getting jacked up. They weren't getting punished for iniquity. They were getting punished for righteousness' sakes, and they were an example for us for all time. A lot of times we get punished for wickedness, and we don't even want to take that. They were getting punished for righteousness. And they were an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So that's the example he gave. He said, we got the examples. We have the examples of all the prophets before us, and we count them what? We happy. Count, we count them happy. We count Job happy. We read it. That's why he said, remember.
remember, he said, you heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end. What was the end of Job? He was restored. He was restored to everything. So you look at that. So you look at that, and the scripture is telling you. You can look at the worst stories of affliction and persecution and all things that happened to the prophets of old. But what was the end? The end is that they were glorified, and we count them happy. Elijah cried on the mountaintop about how he was the only prophet and how Jezebel was trying to kill him. The Most High took him into heaven. He didn't even see a physical death. But was he happy about that? I think so. You mean you said he's dead? So you read about Job who lost all things. But was not, were not all things restored to him far, in the far greater than he had them in the beginning? Yeah. Along with the understanding and wisdom that he gained from the Lord going through those trials, yeah. being an example for all generations to come of the patience that we have to have in this faith. So we count them happy. So we have all of these examples with us. So being that we have these examples with us, why do we fall into that spirit? Because we're carnal. Because we're carnal. And one, an example of the carnal spirit that we have is the fact that we fall into the whole sin of being covetous and desiring what everybody else has except for the things the Most High has blessed us with. The Most High has blessed us with so many things. The Most High has blessed us with skills. The Most High has blessed us with abilities. The Most High has blessed us with talents. But these are talents that will continue to bury in the ground and do absolutely nothing with. And why does that happen? Because depression breeds slothfulness. You cannot have one without the other. They go hand in hand. The Mosai gave us a job to do. Why do we find it so hard to do? Because of that woe is me attitude. Oh, I don't belong here. I don't know what's going on. I'm so wicked. Something's wrong with me. I just can't get it together. I just can't find a way. Not like the other brothers. And so when that spirit, when that demon, when that satanic spirit, that's what it is, it's satanic. When that satanic spirit gets on you and convinces you that you don't have, a, you don't have any wealth, you don't have any value, you don't have anything to bring to the body of Christ, you don't have nothing to bring to the table, then what happens? You sit there. And you just sit on your talents. You sit on your gifts because you can't figure out how the Most High is using you in this faith. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. <clears throat> For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So it's the same that you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the body of Christ, correct? Yes. We have many members. We have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Read. Verse 5. Verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. So we're all one body in Christ and all members one of another. So the same way it tells you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if one member suffer, all the members suffer. If one member rejoice, all the members rejoice. So if one of the members or some of the members are down in the depths of despair 
something and hate themselves and despise themselves, and they decided that they're not worthy to be part of the body, they don't know what it is, then how is that going to look in the body? If that was your physical body and your arm decided, oh, I, I just don't belong here, I don't need to be the arm, how much work are you going to get done? Nothing. You can't. And that's the same thing that happens in the body of Christ when that spirit comes in. The Most High blesses you with gifts, abilities, and everything, but that spirit of depression, that spirit of anxiety, that spirit of fear, fear of acceptance, fear of whatever it is that lingers over your head, leads you to be impotent. What? No, impotent means impotent. It means that you don't have, you don't have, see, y'all thinking this. Impotent means that you are powerless. Powerless, because the word potent means potent. You become impotent. You become powerless. You become of no value in the body. And that's a hurtful thing to let that happen to yourself. So it says, for we being many or one body in Christ, and every one members one to another. Verse 6, having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us, you'll read it again, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So now that's the point. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So that means that what was given to you was given to you. What was given to you was given to you. Because we're speaking about these things, and we're not talking about it like we haven't experienced it before ourselves. When I've gone through my bouts in the church, there were times when I was supposed to be teaching. There were times when I was supposed to be handling things, and because I was in my darkness, my despair, my depression and self-loathing, I couldn't do the job that the most I had assigned me to do. So what happened? Then I'm sitting there like, well, there's other brothers in the church that could teach. I'm not the only teacher in the church. Somebody else could teach. I'm not the only person that writes. Other people could write. I'm not the only person that do shows. Other people could do shows. Why? Because what Satan does is he tells you other people will handle it. Everybody else will do it. They don't need you. They'll move on without you. You ain't stopping nothing. Truth be told, we're not stopping nothing. But the point is, is that we were meant to be a benefit to this ministry, not to handle it. It was meant to be an equity among the things that have to be done here. Not one member being eased and the other's burden. But where does that happen? That goes right back to that same spirit again. Because where does that sloth come from? That sloth is a direct result of that hopelessness, that despair, that depression that comes on people. So it tells you in verse 6, Hebrews 12 and 6, that we were given gifts differing according to the grace that was given us. Read. Romans 12 and 6. I'm sorry, Romans 12 and 6. Having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, but it's prophesied according to the proportion of faith. So even if we don't consider ourselves the best teacher, we still teach according to the proportion of faith that was given to us. Read. Or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering 
or he that teaches or teaches. So everybody is waiting for his office. Some are teachers, some are ministers, some are helps, some are teachers. But it's showing you that the Lord is the one that's given us differing gifts. Even if you're one of many teachers, that still means the gift of teaching the Most High gave to you is not the same as the one that he gave to everybody else. There are different things that you understand. There are different things that you can explain better, that things that based on your experiences that the Most High has given you that gives you the insight. And that can be said for all teachers. Me and Kadar don't teach the same. We don't understand all the same things. There's times when I lean on his understanding. There's times when he leans on mine. And that can be said for all of us. So we decided that we're going to take our talents and bury it in the earth and we're not going to use it. Then what's going to happen in the day when the Lord comes to reckon with his servants for the gifts that was given them? He's going to tell them, he's going to tell them, he's going to cast that wicked servant into outer darkness and destroy him. But the gifts and talents that he had are going to belong to somebody else. And that's the way it always works. Even with this church, every single time somebody has gone out the door, Somebody else came in that filled the void that was lacking. And that's been always the case. Tell me I'm lying. I mean, it's almost freaky scary how it happens. Same day. Huh? Same day. Like, it's, the, it's one person's first day, it's the other person's last day. And it happens that way. You lose one brother that was dealing with the internet, somebody else comes in and says, oh, well, what are you, I'm a master web designer. Same day. And you're like, what? Well, I'll this. <laughs> and, that, and that happens. There's one brother that's dealing with the tape, another one come in and starts sending them out weekly. Yeah. And that happens too. Wow. So you see what's going on is the scripture that telling us that all of us are given that portion of faith and waiting on our ministry. Verse 8. For he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy, so all of these things are spirits that the Most High has brought into the church. And if we neglect the gift that is in us, we're going to let them go to the wayside. Read. Let love be without dissimulation, and for that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Read. Not slothful in business, Serving in spirit, spirit serving the Lord. So we're not supposed to be slothful in business. We're supposed to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And that's one of the reasons why that spirit of that that spirit of depression and self-loathing and all that, and that spirit of fear, it has to die because it's not profitable to the body. It's a poison in the body. And the scriptures and the scriptures are telling you that even when you see in this life, fear. Is contagious. Yeah. You're right. Well, the scriptures tell us that. When you look at people going on the battlefield, what did the Most High say about the cowards? He said, take the cowards and send them home. Why? Because they're going to make others. Because when people see your heart melt on that battlefield, their heart is going to melt too. So he said, rather than you single-handedly cause a thousand men to die, stay home. Why are you laughing? It's true. So, because there it is, you got been on the front line, and you just turn around and 
the battle starts. You turn around and start running. How many times does that happen even in real life where you see someone, you might be walking with your friends, or they see something that you don't even see. They turn around and start running. You start running. Well, you start, where are we running from? Where are we running from? <laughs> you don't even know what you're running from. You were like, you, you started running, I started running. But that spirit is contagious. The spirit of fear is contagious. The spirit of sloth is contagious. That spirit of depression is contagious. That spirit of despair, self-loathing is all contagious. You can't bring it into the body. It will poison the body. And that's what Satan wants it to do. That's what Satan wants it to do. But you can't allow that to happen. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll just jump right to the point in verse 31, which you know by heart. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Because chapter 12 is dealing with the same thing we just now read in Romans about going into the different gifts and diversity of the Spirit in the congregation. Now chapter 12, verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gift, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And what was the more excellent way that was shown unto us when you read chapter 13? Charity. Charity. Because the scriptures let us know that whether it be prophecies, teachings, tongues, all the things, all the gifts of the Spirit, every gift that the Heavenly Father has bestowed in the body of Christ, none of them are as powerful or as important as that fervent charity that we're supposed to have one for another. Loving the Most High with all your heart, mind, and soul, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you have that fervent charity within us, then we're going to be able to overcome all things. And we're not going to be sitting back trying to compare ourselves among ourselves like the scriptures tell us we're not supposed to be doing this in the first place. But we have we fall into sin in our carnal mind when we start comparing ourselves among ourselves about the gifts and talents that we have. And what else do we compare ourselves among ourselves about? Our lot in life. Or oh, this brother got a better job than me. This person make more money than me. This person got a better car than me. This person got a better house than me. Those are things that do not belong in the body. So let's read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. It's just that one verse, but it's an important verse. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So the scriptures tell us that there are some that there are some in the body or out of the body that like to commend themselves. Talk about their greatness, the things that they've accomplished in this life. The scriptures tell us that we're not supposed to measure ourselves by ourselves or compare ourselves among ourselves, and if we're doing that, then we're not wise. So if you're sitting back wondering how you measure up in teaching to the next brother, you're not wise. If you're sitting back wondering how your righteousness compares to that brother's righteousness or that sister's righteousness, then you're not wise. If you're doing it with carnal things, you're not wise. It's bad enough when you do it with spiritual things, but it's even worse when brothers do it with the carnal. But it all goes back to that same spirit as well. 
because I've seen it also destroyed men, where people sit back. It was in the New York church. It was about five, six brothers that were looking for work at the same time. All of them were unemployed. Some of them were in a really bad situation. Some of them were on financial burden. Some of them were getting money by the, from the church. The church was basically paying their rent, putting food on their table. So it was really humbling for somebody that never had to go through that before. But what happened is this. You had brothers one week after the other getting jobs. Brother coming in all praises. The Lord bless me with a job. I'm at the clinic right now. And everybody, oh, all praises. And week after week, people just getting, just getting blessed. And there was one brother who gave into that spirit of despair and depression. And he would just sit around the congregation moping almost in tears. Like, when is my turn going to come? But the thing is, that spirit of depression turned into a loathing and jealousy of the brothers and sisters around him. Because he sat back and said, well, I'm here too. I'm keeping the commandments too. The most I blessing everybody else, why he ain't blessing me? But you have to understand, that very same spirit was turning away the blessings. Because Satan had took him into that despair and that hopelessness to the point where he didn't even realize that it brought a spirit of covetousness, a spirit of envy, a spirit of jealousy, a spirit of emulation, and know the things that are abominations to the Lord. We're not supposed to be sitting up in here wondering how much brothers make, what they got on their four, how much money they got in their four, one K, and all stuff like that. It's not for us to compare. Now, you might have friends that, that are more intimate with you than other people, and they share certain things with you. That's all well and good. But it's not so for us to obsess over. Because the Most High is going to have us wherever he's going to have us, and the scriptures tell us that we have to be cool with that. So when it comes into that whole thing with money, people people go crazy. Go to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 and 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your, your care of me have flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So Paul is speaking about how he went to the church in Philippi and how they supplied the things that he needed, and they were the things that he lacked, they supplied, even though there was carefulness among them as well because he didn't have a great deal. Continue. Now, not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So it says, not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. To be content. And like I always go with brothers, there's a big difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment is I understand that at the time the Lord has me here. The Lord can raise me up out of this situation when he so pleases as long as I do the things that are needful for me to do. Complacency is you just sitting on your behind, won't do nothing, and slothful, and then wondering why your situation is not changing. There's a big difference between the two. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Read. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So it's letting you know that in this faith, we have to be ready, willing, and able 
because there are some brothers and some sisters that cannot be brought low and changed to a lower state. The scriptures tell you in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and be cheerful. Take it cheerfully when you are changed to a low estate. And, you know, even in my own life, y'all, everybody in here that has been around long enough know the different jobs I've had in this faith. And I have to be cool with that. And I have to take that cheerfully. But because I know that when the Lord is bringing me to these different places and things like that, it's my, it's, it's not just, it's not just because he's rolling the dice. He's not rolling the dice and sitting back talking about, I had him, I want to bring him low just to see what he's going to do. It's not a game. It's not an experiment. But people sit back like, oh, it's bad luck. It's not bad luck. It's because the Lord's plans are always in effect. The same way he raised me up, the same way he can raise me up again. If that's his will. Because I had, you know, it's funny, I had an interesting talk the other day. And he's sitting there like, well, Dad, you know, we're in this garden center and this, that, and the other. And I'm just sitting there like, well, listen, the, the Lord has us there for a reason. There's a purpose for us to be here. And he's like, but I'm just looking at you. Like, don't you think that you'd be able to teach more people if you weren't there? Don't you think that if you devoted your time to just teaching all the time, you'd be able to teach more people? I said, dude, I met you at work. And he's like, oh, that is right. <laughs> I can't do our work. So the whole deal is that it's easy to sit back talking about work getting in the way, but you don't know what the Lord is doing, what you're bringing you there for. And it's all praise to the Heavenly Father in Christ. But I wouldn't be able to see those things if you're not putting your spiritual eyes on. When you put your spiritual eyes on, you're able to say, okay, why am I here? I know that the Lord has me here for a reason. Let me just be patient and wait to see what it is. As opposed to, oh, woe is me. Look what much money I used to have in my bank account and what money I got in there now. I can't eat out like I used to. I can't buy my video games. and look. That's foolishness because all of those things is carnal. But if we want to deal according to what the scriptures are saying, then the scriptures are letting us know that we have to know how to abound and how to abase. In the times when the Lord has us abounding, we're gracious to the Lord. We still give. We still have charity. We still deal with the things we have to deal with. In the time when the Lord has abased us, we still give and we still do what we can. There was a time when you might have been given $50 to the church every paycheck. You might have been given $100 every paycheck. A big event comes, you drop $1,000. Now, if you could drop $10, drop $10. Drop five. That's $5 more than what we used to have. And if you think it don't do nothing, it adds up. So you have to be able to know how to abound and how to abase. And if you're abased and you decide that you want to give into that spirit of woe is me, look at me, how I fell down, people looking at me different than they did before, then you're a fool. That's foolishness and that's carnal and that's all in your mind. But if you let that become your reality, if you let that become how you view yourself, if you think that your work in this ministry or in life is based on where you work and how much money you got, then you don't really understand what this is about. So verse 12 again. And I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full 
and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And why is he able to go through all those things and never lose faith? Because of verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So that's the answer. Through Jesus Christ we can do all things. Because according to Matthew chapter 6, whether I abounded or abased, there was never a time when I was out on the street. There was never a night that I went to bed hungry. There was never a time when I didn't have food or drink. And that's that's the realness that the Lord is doing for us. But you won't be able to appreciate that if you give in to that carnal, wicked, evil, deceitful spirit of despair, which is the exact opposite of faith. You got anything to bring out about that before I move on? Because I know you said you were putting some scripture together on, uh, on no, the money thing. You're good. No, I'll just I'll, I'll go to this. More so in the world, I see this, but... Sometimes it happens with brothers and the truth, too, so I just want to go to the point. Um, Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And um, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Thou shalt observe to do according to all that is written therein, but then... Thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Because you see so many different people that, oh, I'm 34, oh, I'm 40, oh, I'm 25, I'm not where I should be in life. And they get all depressed over where they feel that they should be in life. The scriptures are telling us right here that the measure of success is not the amount of money. That's a scripture, too. It's not the amount of money you have. It's not about the car you have, what you're driving, your education status. It's about how we're living righteously because that is the true measure of success, whether or not we're walking according to the commandments and setting forth that good example. If we're doing anything else and using that to measure, then you're always going to fail in this world because you look at people, and I know people that had hundreds of thousands of dollars, like three hundred, four hundred, maybe five hundred thousand dollars, prepared to retire. Nine eleven hit, that five hundred thousand dropped to like forty thousand. So if your success is measured based on money, then now what are you saying about yourself? Trusting in money, huh? you're depressed. You're depressed, and that's what happens. People spun into deep depression, suicide, all that stuff after 9-11, completely unrelated to the people that died. You're not even thankful enough to still have your life after seeing all those people die. You're sad about how much money you lost, and now I'm no longer successful in life. So we have to remember that the true measure of success are the scriptures. We have to use the scriptures, and if we're walking according to commandments and doing those things, that's success, and everything else can blow in the wind. If we get the, get good money, get good jobs, that's great. But we could be a janitor serving the Lord, or we could be a CEO serving the Lord, as long as we're serving the Lord. Right. Or oh, I'm a horticulturalist. Now, I will, I will tell you where that comes from. It's a true story. There's a brother that was in the church before, 
And whenever people asked him what his job was, and this was an elder in the church, mm-hmm. so every time somebody asked him, like, oh, what, do you, what type of work do you do? I'm a horticulturalist. So it was like a horticulturalist, so anybody knows what it is. Oh, okay, this is a person, he cultivates flowers, he, he, he breeds, cross-breeds them, knows how to germinate them, knows the different flowers and stuff like that. So what happened is <laughs> brothers would have questions about plants and stuff like that. They'd call up like, hey, um, what should I do about, um, I, got, I got some azaleas, and I was wondering if they're, well, you know, um, you might want to just um, ask the person at the, nursery that you get them from, and they'll be able to tell you. They're like, well, dang, that's not the problem with the But the thing is, it's, it's not the fact that we're laughing at him or his lot in life or his job. We're laughing at the fact that he was so ashamed of it that he had to make all of this an elaborate life. I'm a horticulturalist. A horticulturalist is you in a laboratory yeah. somewhere cutting the thing and the root off and putting it in the and you looking at stuff under a microscope and and that's what a horticulturalist does. So the thing is, I'm a horticulturalist. No, I load notes. I check people out. I run a register. I do whatever needs to be done. But that's what the whole point is. Like Cazal's bringing out, whatever thing we do in the name of the Lord, we do it with pride. Whether you look at Paul being a person that was could have been a Pharisee from a, from a wealthy family who would turn around and started making tents. So it just shows you, you really, really have to have a strong basis in your faith and understand who and what you are and why the most I brought you here, or else you're going to be torn apart by Satan and the wiles of the devil. Bro, you're an apple alone because I've seen you in both. Oh, um, i me in both. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the corporate setting, I mean, with the literally from the solo, so to speak, in a team of people to, you know, running your own team, um, being promoted. I'm, you, y'all are living together. When you saw him literally rise up the corporate ladder in, in world terms, uh, so the, we saw the stretch with the, the tie up. The more he yeah. moved on up, we, I, you know, I was like concerned, like, why are you back at work? You came from the hospital, you know, like, this is crazy. So, I guess about a year or so after he left the company, you know, you know I said, yo, man, how you feeling, right? You said, I don't remember this, but you said, Whoa. I feel great. I was like, well, you look happy. You you was in a, you, you didn't have a stretch. You said, I get to, you remember things you broke down? You said, I get to come home, um, you know, at a decent time. I don't have to deal with the uh, rigors of running the team. And... Okay. And you look a lot happier. Goodbye, chicken. I'm going to lie, turkey. I'm about to slap the eagle. You're a madman. But um, I'm, we're about to, did you have anything else in that? Because I'm about to go into the last part and start wrapping it up. All right, no. So the last, wrap it up. Wrap it up. All right, settle, settle, settle. There are people on the line who are wondering why it's like why we're in concert right now. So the whole thing, I want to revisit the point about that spirit of law because that's the one that really, really becomes. The, probably the most hurtful of all the ones that, of all the byproducts of that depression. The reason why it becomes such a wicked byproduct 
is because the scriptures tell us um, something very important. There was actually a really interesting documentary that I that I referenced last week when we were doing class, going into the History Channel when they did the Seven Deadly Sins, and when they were going into sloth, what they were explaining was that when you look at the biblical definition of sloth, you know nowadays people say sloth, they say oh you just sloth and you just lazy, you just don't want to do nothing, you just lazy. But when you look at what the word of the, what the word originally meant, it didn't mean just lazy. What it was going into was the different things of despair, the hopelessness, and that depression that caused the that caused the flaw. So it wasn't just saying, "Oh, you're just lazy." It was saying, "This is a person that allowed themselves to be defeated. This is a person that allowed themselves to be run down. This is a person that allowed themselves to give into hopelessness." sadness and despair, and because of that, they became slothful because they lost their power. They became impotent. They became hopeless. And and as a result, they could not become profitable to the faith. Despair and servitude. And the reason why that, that one is such an interesting one, because despair and servitude is going into exactly what we were speaking about, about how a person was made to hate their service to the Most High or to despise what they were supposed to be doing as far as the word the Most High called them to do. So that's that's a good segue into this um, these last scriptures. By 375, Sloth was thought to be among the worst transgressions against God, and Evagrius Poticus divided Sloth into two sins. The first he called acedia. How do you define acedia? You could say it's a, it's a creeping form of spiritual apathy that sucks your motivation. What makes acedia so deadly is you just don't care. You don't try. A burnout would be a, another form of this. Acedia was considered the primary sin for monks. One monk wrote, Acedia is the peculiar lot of hermits. It makes a monk horrified at where he is, disgusted with his cell, and also contemptuous of the brothers who live with him. Likewise, it renders him slothful and immobile in the face of all the work to be done. Acedia is a better word for complacency and apathy than the modern term sloth. I think the concept of acedia is that you really find yourself unable to care even about the things that you know deep down you should care about or that you want to care about. I actually term acedia spiritual morphine. And if you've ever had morphine in the hospital, you know that you're aware that the pain is there, but it's dulled so you don't care about it anymore. And I think acedia is like that with life. For Evagrius, the other wicked temptation which comprised sloth was tristitia, which translates as sadness. Evagrius was of the opinion that sadness was one of the most devastating patterns of all. And what makes sadness so particularly deadly is that it damages you and then by your being damaged the people that are closest to you 
are kind of caught as collateral damage. Tristitia might be better thought of as despair, and as such, it is considered a sin in many religions. The greatest sin was despair, because despair is the antithesis of faith. If there is a God, and God cares for the world, then one ought never to despair. When the early monks talk about despair as a sin, they usually specifically meant despair at living the life that they felt God was calling them to live. Despair was a turning away from the life that God was calling you to. I think what's so interesting about thinking back 1,500 years, I mean, why could possibly anyone have ever thought that sadness was a sin? I think has to incorporate what goes with depression, which we will assume was what people called sadness. So you look at that, and right, so you look at that. That was um that's um from the documentary History Channel, The Seven Deadly Sins, and that was the episode on sloth. But what it was explaining about sloth, which was really interesting, is that it was a combination of those two. That it was not just sloth; it was I'm lazy, I don't want to do nothing. But it was brought on by that despair, that depression, that fear, coupled with that sadness that made a person lose total interest in everything. Nowadays, it would be like clinical depression or all the things that people would call it by modern terms. But what they brought up, which was really interesting, is why it was so damaging to the church. It says because it, it was like when they brought it out, it was saying this made a person to be despiteful, and actually come to hate and rebel against the calling of the Most High. Because the Most High called you into the faith, and because of that, you gave up so many things and left so many things behind. And now all this work needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Do we not have multitudes of work that needs to be done in this faith? Yes, we do. But what was happening is the people that gave into that despair and allowed themselves to be overcome by Satan did not have the motivation, did not have the mental aptitude to go forth and do all the things that needed to be done. So who was suffering? Their brothers in the faith were suffering. Their sisters in the faith were suffering. The work that needed to be done was suffering. And ultimately, the reason why it was such a great sin is because the, one of the last and greatest commandments that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us was to feed his sheep. So we're going to get those scriptures. You have something for them? Just two things. One is, when you look at, as far as that, uh, one of the seven devil seven dealing with sloth. Sloth itself is not really the same. Sloth is really, from, from the explanation, sloth is the end result. The byproduct. Yeah, the byproduct, the end result of, of where it came from. It originated in actually departing from the face of your mind, actually uh, not believing in the Lord. But all of those things really... Paul really brings that out in the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. And he says, Take heed, brethren, that there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departed from the living God. That's really what everything that we're talking about, where you actually end up at that depression, which leads you to that sloth. Because that evil heart of unbelief going into how you, in your mind, lose that faith and depart from the Most High, in your mind, and then all you have as a result is a is a damage that actually manifests itself in physical life, which is a 
the depression, the sorrowfulness, the not doing, uh, be not being uh, um, productive in business and things like that. What the scripture is talking about. But all of that is really just a byproduct of something that already happened in your mind. Exactly. You lost that thing. And see, now you can play this. Since you brought it out, you can play the second clip, Bajra, because then we'll finish off on the sloth. But it was going into what it was going into. It's the same thing you're bringing out about what happens in the mind. Mm-hmm. Because we know that according to the scriptures, those are the different spirits that come on people. So when you look at in the ancient world, when they, what you actually saw in like during the Renaissance and all these other revolutions, ancient with light and reason, when they tried to put everything in a category and label it, it went from being something that the scriptures speak of. People say, okay, listen, we know what that is. That's the spirit that the Lord warned us about to be in, okay, we can fix that with a pill that he can give you. You understand? It wasn't always that way. So let's listen to another clip from that documentary going into how the biblical forefathers saw that as a demon. The Greco-Roman world thought the sin of sloth was nothing more than a physical symptom something which matched the definition of what we know as depression. It's an interesting question to what extent those who were branded with having the sin of sloth were in reality suffering from melancholic illness. And there must have been a considerable overlap because the term acedia comes very quickly in medicine to mean melancholia. By 400 AD, Christianity was dominant in the Roman Empire. The concept of the sin of sloth changed. It's interesting that in the ancient world, descriptions of depression don't seem to be accompanied by any particular stigma. But with the introduction of Christianity, this idea of depression as a sin of acedia became very prominent. When Evagrius listed sloth as two sins, acedia and tristitia, he changed the way society viewed the sin for centuries. The mental illnesses were described as illnesses of the soul and were therefore a mark of God's terrible disfavor. And so the illness of depression became very shameful. To the medieval church and for centuries thereafter, the sin of sloth was caused by something far worse than an imbalance of humors. Depression continued to be seen as an invasion of demons or the work of the devil. There was a sense that all sinfulness came out of a form of demonic possession or out of an intimacy with the devil and his minions. And depression was like all of the other sins, something that could be caused when the devil had taken possession of your soul. So when we look at that, we know that it's not anything as dramatic as what they make it up to be like, we're talking about an exorcism and things like that. So it's not like beds floating and things like that. We're talking about, what we're speaking about is that same spirit. That's, what was the last scripture that you just quoted? Um, yeah, he was grandpa. So read it. Because we quoted that last week. We went over that scripture last week, but it bears repeating again, especially in light of what we just now read. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Take hey, brethren, that there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. 
So when you look at that evil heart of unbelief, that spirit comes upon people, that spirit of despair, that spirit of fear. Because the scripture tells us the Lord did not give us God. The scripture says the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear. So I'm letting you know that's the spirit. That holds that all those things that come upon us, those are those spirits that take over. So it's not talking about like you spitting a pea soup and stuff like that. What it's going into is the fact that you are supposed to be the vessel. Your body is supposed to be the vessel for the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is not the spirit of fear. It is not the spirit of sloth. It is not the spirit of depression. It's not any of those spirits that hinder you from doing this ministry. The Holy Spirit is the spirit that allows you to go forth and do this work. To finish that, that verse, it says, not the spirit of fear, but of power and of a ready mind. So, so that's that spirit, the Holy Spirit would exactly. be that spirit of power and of that ready mind. So if you look at what they were bringing out about all the work that needs to be done, then um, let's get that in the book of Luke. What were you? You were holding the labor? So read Luke 11. Um, that's right. Luke 11 is that's that's um, you know what that's I was very good for Luke 17. I, I was just that next verse because okay at verse at first you need to go on the Hebrew chapter three and verse twelve at first you don't really understand everything that's really going on with that verse it goes much deeper than you would at first glance see but that's why he comes back because you talking about you can't allow that spirit to get rooted into a person. Because once it gets desperate, that evil heart of unbelief, once that gets rooted into the person, then it spreads like leaven to everybody else. That's what you're going through. Mm-hmm. But, so Paul, through the Spirit, brings out how, to, how you deal with that. Part of it is 13. But exalt one another daily while it's called today. So he's really letting you know there's a certain immediacy that you have to deal with this. You can't see that type of spirit on a person and just let it go. You have to deal with them on it. Because Day by day, they get they go deeper and deeper into that depression until they get that slow, and then that starts spreading to everybody. So you gotta, like the scripture says, exalt one another daily while it's cultivated. Let any of you be hardened to a deceitfulness of sin. That's when you start that hardening comes. Now you settle into that, and that's where it takes over. And then you begin to bring forth the sin, which is the sloth and everything else that happens after that. Exactly. So when you read the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest tree is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So the scripture says that the harvest is plenteous. So Jesus is talking to the disciples, telling them, Listen, it's the harvest is great. It's a great harvest. It's a mighty harvest. There's lots of work to be done. But not only is there lots of work to be done, but there's only a few people to do it. The laborers are few. So don't you think that Satan also knows that the laborers are few? So if Satan knows the laborers are few, then he's going to take the laborers out the best way he knows how. And that's through sin of any kind. So if we talk about that sin of slothfulness that stops us from doing the work of the Most High, through the Scriptures we see that it has its roots when he starts digging those hooks in us and make us doubt our self-worth, make us doubt who we are, make us doubt the fact that the Most High brought us here. He gives us a given to despair. 
It was given to depression. We give in to that self-loathing and all those things. That's why the status quo, we went over that guilt. We went over getting over guilt. We went over getting over that, that spirit of anxiety. We went over getting over the, the um, chastening of the Lord, making sure that that doesn't turn you out of the faith, over comparing yourself among yourselves, get, getting away from that spirit of burying your talents, neglecting your spiritual gifts. All those things we went over today because that leads you to that spirit of sloth that stops you from being able to do the work of God. And if the scriptures are telling us the harvest, harvest is great, there'll be a few people to do it, but the ones who the Lord called to do it are sitting somewhere in a room crying with the door closed, talking about I'm not worthy to do the work, then who else is going to do the work? While you're sitting there crying and, and self-loathing, there's people out here dying in this world without God. They're in darkness and covered in gross darkness. And the Lord has given us the light of Jesus Christ to shine at that darkness in this world, but you put it under that putting it under the bed like the scripture says. You're burying that talent like the scripture says. That's where the sin comes in. That's why that slothful servant was cast into outer darkness. Because he was called upon to do this work and given a gift that most of this world will not see. In their lifetime. But instead of taking that light of Jesus Christ and using it as that beacon to the world, you let Satan come into your mind until you despise your calling. And that, I mean, it goes back to Galatians 6 and 1, where it talks about ye that are spiritual, if a brethren is overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. When you get that spirit on you, the spirit is like, you know what? I can't. I'm messing up so much, so I can't say nothing to him. And you get a spirit on you where you don't even do the work of the Lord, which is to we talk about. Well, after I brought it to the people out there in the world that need us, but really where you let your light shine first is amongst your brethren here. So if you're not even letting your light shine amongst the people that you're supposed to, there's no way you can even go out there in the world and do it. But all the while, that's the same thing as hiding your talent, as not sharing, not sharing forth that blessing. It, and it turns into, if you really look at how sin snowballs, it turns into hatred for your own brothers and sisters. That's what they later don't And they just say, yeah. it turns into hatred because hating everyone around you who works as that yeah, And we you. say that. Yeah, but she said, we're saying that she's saying it on that level. Yeah, yeah. But the level that we're dealing with is what. If you see your brother in a fault, what are you supposed to do? Reprove him, not suffer sin upon him. But if you're sitting there within your mind saying, I'm too messed up to say anything to him, then now you're doing what? Suffering sin upon him. And then that's called what? Hatred. Because if you love your brother, you're going to. So if you suffer sin upon him, then you hate him. And that happens more than you would know. When people come up and they say, okay, this person is dealing with this, this person is dealing with that, well, how did it get this bad? Why didn't you go this far? Why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you do You saw it from the start. I just figured, you know, I've been messing up too, and I feel like I was a hypocrite, and I didn't really have the right to say anything, and... And like why? I need the beam in my eye. So what's going on is that instead of moving on to repentance like the scriptures tell us, you give into that despair, 
that self-loathing, that depression, and you watch all these things go by, and you're totally powerless and impotent to do anything about it because you've allowed yourself to become that. That's why when you look at the book of John chapter 21, and this is where we'll end with the commandment of Jesus Christ, John chapter 21, and start at verse 15. And this is Jesus Christ speaking to Simon Peter. So when they had died, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. So Kadal brought that out in one of the classes not too long ago, going into how great of a commandment that was how that was one of the last commandments that the Lord Jesus Christ gave when he was on the face of the earth, and how he said it to him three times, showing him how important it is. It's the most important. So if that be the case, and we know, like the Lord Jesus Christ told us, that the harvest is great, that there's so much work to be done, and the laborers are few, that spirit of sloth is a selfish, wicked, evil spirit to have, because you only concern with what you're going through, your own pains, your own fears, and it consumes you and makes you powerless to fulfill the commandment that Jesus Christ gave to all of us, which was to feed his sheep. So we have the choice whether we're going to go out and do the things that the Lord commanded us to do, whether we're going to go out and feed his lamb like he commanded us to do or whether we're going to give us that wicked, evil, perverse spirit and let it dominate us so we find ourselves in sin and totally useless to the body of Christ. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And it says, For our light of fiction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I just read it because so many of these things that we get depressed about and downtrodden about are all temporal things. They're not going to last. They're not. They're going to be destroyed. The cars, the money, the riches, the, the glory, the fame of this earth shall all be destroyed. That's temporary. But the things that are eternal are Christ and his righteousness. So if we apply ourselves to that, it tells you that 